Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, I've entitled the message this morning, One Body, uh, Many Parts, and Many Gifts. Take your Bible, look at Romans uh, chapter 12. This wonderful text that I've said now for weeks begins the practical application of the gospel in the hearts and lives of men and women. First there at Rome, but uh, 20 centuries uh, to us here at Grace that know Christ the Lord and Savior. That's what the big therefore is there in verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, it's the bridge in the view of all that I've said so far as the gospel. This is how you should live as Christians. And we began seeing that early on. Well, God uh, gave us bodies that are truly wonderful. You may not like your body, but it's the best thing and the only thing you got. And they are wonderful. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We often say that, don't we? Because it is true. Our, your body is a unit. It's a single complex organism. It is multi-complex. The most brilliant minds of, of, of mankind don't uh, fully understand uh, so many things about the body. In fact, I love it when you go to a physician and they don't act like God thinking they know everything, but at times say, you know what? I don't know. His stock goes way up in my way of thinking, when uh, he or she makes that kind of confession. I think it's great. We're not even sure. We're, we're, what we know about the brain is like being in elementary school. Hardly nothing at all. We're learning more, and the tools that God has given to us certainly are helping, but it is vast, and it is complex, and it is wonderful. Yet you must admit, uh, our bodies have a multitude of parts, don't they? They function together for our well-being. Think of the many systems uh, and parts found in your body. I love to think about it. Uh, I want to quote a little bit Dr. Paul Brand, so I won't say too much, but just think of the systems of your body that make it work for its well-being. And they all work together, and you're not thinking about it. Isn't that great? You may have had a driver's test or a hunter's test or an algebra test or something. You're, i got to think about this. i got to study. You don't even think about it in your lymph node system. Janae's talked about this morning. The tonsils are part of that. First line of defense, they grab the bacteria and, 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 and try and, and destroy it before it destroys your body. We have the lymph node system. It works through our whole body. There's nothing that pumps it, like the circulation system. The, the heart, you see, pumps the blood through there. It's incredible how that works. Your lung system and how that, the exchange of the CO2 and the oxygen. We don't even think about it. Breathe, exhale, breathe. Aren't you glad you don't have to think about that? Give me one more thing to think about. We'd be falling over dead. We'd be forget to think about it. Think about the sensory systems of the body. If you didn't have the five senses, you and I'd be bumping into each other. We wouldn't even know you were there. I wouldn't even feel it. The eyes are extenders of the brain. They're, they're incredible and in how God made them beautiful in color. The eyes are beautiful. They're the, the window of the soul, we say of that. You see everything upside down, and the brain flips it over. Put on some glasses that turn the other way, and after a little bit, it flips it back again. Phenomenal. The hearing with the ears. Notice they're funneled forward. And you have two of them. It's instructive. We ought to hear more than we speak. Aren't you glad you don't have two mouths? Oh, Lord, life is bad, but it could be worse, right? Right. You have ears, and it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 a the vibration on the eardrum, and it vibrates three little bones, and it changes that mechanical sound into neurological sound, into the auditory nerve translated into the hearing. Faith claims I can't hear as much as I used to, and that's true. Dr. Wan even said that. Yeah, I missed that frequency, that female frequency. Yeah, it is. He says, one-third of men my age. You know, come back in five years if it's any worse. Faith wants me to go back sooner. I said, no, no, 
doctor said, five years and we'll see. The hearing, the sense, you know, the, 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 uh, the sensory of touch. You know, you can tell velvet from rough to the beauty of that, right? It's, and, and, and smell, I'm losing that too. But if you lose your smell entirely, you can't tell what you're eating with the taste, the other. They go hand in hand. The, the lesson of that is, is eat your strawberries and chocolate ice cream when you're younger <laughs> because you'll taste them a whole lot more than when you're older. What's the stuff I'm eating? No, I didn't know it was apple pie. <laughs> you know, think of it, the bone structure and the calcium and uh, the muscle. They, they work antagonistically and some are smooth and, and some are incredible systems. The endocrine system of the body fight or fight, you know, the adrenaline pumps through, middle of the night, what was that? Someone's in my house. Do I run or do I fight? No, you figure that out. But the adrenaline's pumping through you, you know, so you're not falling asleep. I mean, it's phenomenal. Fingernails, you know, that protect the tips. I've whacked one off more than once. The hammer, you know, I'm glad it was there. I'd probably be missing the tip of my finger. You know, I don't know if that little nail protected, but I'm sure it's a fingerprints that are entirely yours. You're, 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 you are unique. You really are unique, special. Hair for beauty, symmetry of the body, it's balanced. It's beautiful. God made the joints of the body. And I laugh, and I, you laugh with me, but I mean, just think, just think for a moment. If your arm was real short, you couldn't get to your mouth to it. But it doesn't know how that works. It's just perfect. It just comes right to the... So you can bring your Wheaties right up and eat without <laughs> making a mess. Just, you say, well, that's an accident. That's a cosmic accident. If that's so, I've got a bridge for you in New York. I want to sell you. Fearfully, wonderfully made we are. And all these systems work for the well-being and health of the body. We didn't even talk about the intestine and the digestive tract and everything else. Wow. Well, Dr. Paul Brand tells of the diversity and the interrelatedness of our body parts. You may want to pick that book up. Fearfully and wonderfully made. For the sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to read as much as uh, I was thinking of doing, but I'll read a little bit. He speaks about the body's cells. He writes, and I quote, I'm, I'm first struck by the cells' variety in the body. Chemically, my cells are almost alike. But visually and functionally, they are as different as animals in a zoo. You have red blood cells, discs resembling lifesaver candies that voyage throughout your blood system loaded with oxygen to feed the other cells in your body. You have muscle cells, which absorb so much of that nourishment. They're sleek and they're supple. They're full of coiled energy. Then you have cartilage cells with shiny black nuclei, look like bunches of black-eyed peas glued together for strength. Then you have fat cells. Shall we talk about those? They seem lazy and laden. They're like bulging white plastic garbage bags jammed together. That's what he writes. He writes that. Don't be mad at me. That's He wrote that. Bone cells live in rigid structures that exude strength. Cut in a cross-section, bones resemble tree rings, overlapping strength with strength, often impliably in sturdiness. In contrast, sin scales, your cells in your skin, form undilating patterns of softness and texture that rise and dip, giving shape and beauty to our bodies. They curve and shut at unpredictable angles so that every person's fingerprint, not to mention his or her face, is unique. It's unique. The aristocrats of the cellular world are the sex cells and the nerve cells. A woman's contribution, the egg, is one of the largest cells in the human body. It's shaped just visible to the unaided eye. It seems fitting that all the other cells in the body should derive from this elegant and primordial structure. In great contrast to the egg's quiet repose, the male's tiny sperm cells are fiercely flagellating tadpoles. They scramble for position as if competitively aware that only one of billions will gain the honor of fertilization. The king of cells, the one doc, the doctor writes about here, is the one I've devoted much of my life to studying, is the nerve cell. It has an aura of wisdom and complexity about it. It's spider-like. 
It branches out and unites the body with a computer network of dazzling sophistication. Its axions or wires carrying distant messages to and from the human brain can reach a yard in length. He writes, I never tire of viewing these varied specimens or thumbing through books which render cells. Individually, they may seem puny and oddly designed, but I know these invisible parts co cooperate to lavish me with the phenomena of life. My body employs a bewildering zoo of cells, none of which individually resembles the larger body. Just so, he writes, Christ's body comprises an unlikely assortment of humans. Unlikely is precisely the right word, he writes, for we are decidedly unlike one another and the one we follow, from whose design come these comical human shapes which so faintly reflect the ideals of the body as a whole. The body of Christ, like our own body, is composed of individual, unlike cells that are knit together uh, to form one body. One other thing he writes in regards to the unity. Listen to this when he talks about um, the unity of the seemingly diversity of cells. And I quote, What moves cells to work together? What ushers in the higher specialized function of movement and sight and consciousness through the coordination of a hundred trillion cells? That's what you are. Imagine that. A hundred trillion I don't even know how many zeros that is. The secret to membership lies, he says, locked away inside of each cell nucleus, chemically coiled up in the strand of DNA. Once the egg and the sperm share their inheritance, the DNA chemical ladder splits down the center of every gene, much as the teeth of a zipper pull apart. The DNA reforms itself each time the cell divides. 2, 4, 8, 16, 32 cells, each with the identical template, the identical DNA, along the way to, spell, to cell specialization. But each carries the entire instruction book of 100,000 genes. Each one of your cells carries the instruction manual to every cell in your whole body. DNA is estimate estimated to contain instructions that, if written out, would fill a 1,600-page books. That's enormous. 1,000 books of 600 pages. If you were to write out the instruction of the DNA, and it's found in every one of your cells in mine. It's phenomenal. It ought to blow your mind. It does. A nerve cell may operate according to instructions found in volume 4. A kidney cell from volume 25. Both carry the whole compendium. It provides each cell's sealed credential of membership in the body. Every cell possesses a genetic code so complete that the entire body could be reassembled from information in any one of its single cells. I won't go any further. Wow. Read that. If you want to look that book up, you can find that on Amazon and be amazed at that. That'll do something for your edification, fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, after the Apostle Paul has called us as believers to worship the Lord in verses 1 and 2, and then by calling us to think humbly, verse 3, about who we really are, not to think more highly of ourselves than we all Right, now, in the verses before us, 4 to 8, he's going to direct us to think rightly about the body, rightly about the church. And the church is not a building. Do you know that? Church is the people, the redeemed of the Lord. That's the church. It's not the white church with a little steeple, open the door and see all the people. All right, you got part of it. It's the people. That's the church. That's the church. Look at uh, uh, Romans 12. Let's read our few verses, beginning at verse 4, to see our text for this morning. Verse 4, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts 
according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to should be the faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Well, in these, uh, in these uh, a few verses, there are two insights that uh, unfolding the nature of the church, and it urges all of us, all of you, all of us, me included, to use our God-given gifts in the church assembled and the church scattered. We are to be diligent using the gifts that God has given to us. For I remind you that <clears throat> you exist for the body in a world that is so utterly selfish. You know, what can you do for me? People go to church saying today, I don't get anything out of it. I, 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 I. No, pardon me, it's not you. It's all about him. It's not you, it's the church. It's, it's like Kennedy said, don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you do for your country. That's the idea in the proper venue of the church. It's not what the church can do for you, it's what you do for the church, what I do for the church, for the local manifestation here at Grace, for the body of Christ. And so you exist, what? Not for yourself. Body doesn't exist for you, but you exist for the body. You're a part of it. If you know Christ, you're to discover your gift, and you're to use it, and you're to use it all the days of your life. It's not a one and done. Oh, I did that once, and I'm on sabbatical. I did that once. Let the younger kids do it. No, you're to use your gift. It'd be terrible if a part of our, our human body, our finger said, well, that's it, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going to, no, my index, I'm not going to let you write anymore. I'm retired now. Now, some of us have arthritis and some of those fun things that uh, creep in and all that. It gets kind of strange and hard to write, but we still keep going on, right? And the same thing with a local church. It has, as the title, it's one body, has many parts, and many gifts. And they're all to be used in the one body. Well, the first insight is this. We as Christians are one body in Christ, verses 4 and 5. There's one body. So we're going to talk about unity, and yet we're going to talk about, in the body, diversity. A, there's unity in the body of Christ. There's only one body. There aren't many Christ. There's one body. One, that's what he's saying. One body with many members. Paul uses the image of the body. He's speaking about the church, and he does that, that the word church, ecclesia, appears a oh, hundred and some times in the New Testament. Uh, by far, most of them refer to a local church, like Grace is a local church. But uh, here he's teaching, too, about the universal church. There is a church that began on the day of Pentecost. It will end when the last person is saved and the Lord comes and takes us home. So it goes from that point to that point. Most of the, the church members are in heaven now. They've died. They've been taken to glory, and uh, they're there. The church militant is the church now at this point in time, it's, and we're a part of it. You're a part of it. It's all people today in the world that, uh, that are saved. You're part of this mystical, wonderful body of Christ. There's only one body. You're a part of it, and we are a part of it here at Grace. Now, we're a small representation of that body, a picture of it, if you will, but uh, the body of Christ, there's one, is from the beginning to the end of the redeemed, and all are a part of that. That's what he's talking about here by using the imagery of the body. Well, four, we do wrong, I remind you and emphasize uh, to you that when we emphasize our differences with other churches, uh, we do wrong in that. Sometimes we do that so much. You know, uh, we, we, we ought to celebrate our common doctrinal foundation. We tend to be too divisive, too schismatic. And I say that coming out of a background uh, of, uh, of, uh, of being a part of a church. And when I grew up, that reacted against the old northern convention that went bad. 
their pastors no longer believed the Bible nor taught the things of the Word, and they were apostate, and, and, and so on. And so a group came out of that and said, no, wait a minute, that's not the gospel. That's not the re- right view of the virgin birth. That's not the right view of the scriptures. And so they formed church, and they needed to do that. We were part of that. But in that, that you have to be careful about that because you can end up with a lot of pride with that. Ours is doctrinally pure, and uh, we got the right stuff here. And they don't. There are other groups and pockets. God has his people. Some churches are apostate, but God still has believers there. Wherever the word is taught, he's saving them in spite of it. You have to be careful about that. And there are other churches that, that would hold to the doctrinal foundation that we do, but maybe they're, they're, they tend to be Arminian. You know, our friends that, that seem to love the word and love the gospel and are right on the the foundation, what they, oh, you can lose your salvation. Well, you know, that's not right. The Bible never teaches that. But we ought not parade around like, I know something and you don't. You're stupid. I'm smart. And, and, and that. Or we minimize, well, we baptize this way. So we're this kind of church and, and you're not. You know, we, we major on these these things. They're not unimportant. They are. We ought to rightfully divide the word and study to show ourselves approved. But God has believers everywhere. We ought to major on the commonality of our doctrinal samenesses and not focus and divide on these things that tend to divide us. It's crazy. And I've lived through so many years of it, I got so fed up with that. I'm not saying that I don't love the Word and I'll fight for the faith. But when I need another believer and I that instant common denominator, even though they may be of a different, but I sense the love of Christ and the love of the gospel, we ought not like start pointing out our differences and somehow in pride, I've got it right and you don't. That's what I'm saying. I'm not calling for us to be ecumenists. Please, I wrote a master's thesis on that. It's not organ- or, or organizational unity. I'm not ready to hold hands and have service of World Council of Churches or the the American calendar, any of that stuff, because it's Satan, listen, Satan has his churches, Satan has his pastors, Satan has his teachers, but God has his churches, and so on. So everyone that names the name church, we ought not just hold hands, and can't we just hug and sing? All right, so having said that, all right, having said that, really, we, we ought to be gracious and humble, and we ought to recognize that God has his people wherever the word is taught, ever. And, uh, and so on. So don't hear me, but don't misunderstand me. I know some of you already have, saying, oh, if we've lost him, he's going down the road. Beware of pride, though. I say that, really. I mean, I, I, mean, I love the Reformed faith. I love it. I think it's exactly right on. Um, but, you know, I can, I can hug a, a Methodist that loves the word. Oh, God forbid. No, I can. I can greet them. My brother-in-law is trying to win back the Methodist church. He's a United Methodist pastor. I could never do that, ever in a million years. He's fighting it hip and thigh. It's worse every year. They tend to embrace Arminianism. But you know what? He loves the gospel, and wherever he works, a whole lot of people tend to get saved. They don't grow much in the Word, from what I can tell. But, uh, you know, he's there fighting the fight, and it's, a, it's an uphill battle. And, and even this group or that group, you can name all the groups, you know. I don't need to do that. You know what I'm saying. Unity. Unity. There's one body. And if they're not a member of the, uh, the label-caring church that you think they ought to, and they still love Christ and God has redeemed them, they're part of your body. You belong to them. They belong to you. Unity in the body of Christ. Look at B. There's great diversity. We've already noticed that in our physical body with the doctor's uh, excerpt I read, there's, one, there's great diversity. That's a word that's loved today, isn't it? crazy how the world uses it. But, you know, there's a fact that the diversity of people, everybody's different. But in the body, how much more so, the body of Christ, many parts. Not all parts are the same. Each part has its own function to do within the body. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, incidentally, this is the other major chapter in the New Testament that teaches about gifts. And look at that. Would you look at that in 1 Corinthians 12? There are numbers of gifts that are enumerated, as well as our own passage that we've already read. And Paul tells us in this passage that some of you are feet. 
in some of your hands and some of your ears and eyes and mouth. God has arranged the parts of the body just as he wanted them to be. You notice your foot can't see? It stinks sometimes. And I'm glad it's there, and I've had to rip nail off it. I learned that early on. You know, your nails, I used to rip them off. My father said, what are you doing? And I'd walk around, it hurt on the side. Cut them straight. Cut them straight. I still hear him saying that. Oh, you get an ingrown toenail, you have a hard time. You know what? Stick that cotton on there, trying to get Epsom salt. Then they say, that doesn't work anymore. I don't know. Be careful. But my foot can't see. It can't see a thing. It has a function to perform, and all the bones that are there carry the weight of my body and yours, and it's beautiful for its function and design, but it can't do another. But you know what? An eyeball can't carry weight. You know, put your eyeball on the floor and step on it. That'd be a mess. Can't do it. Has a different function. Have you noticed that? Some of you need me to make this real clear. So, and it's the same with the body. That's what Paul is saying here. And, and again, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, the body's a unit. There's the oneness. It's made up of many parts. Though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. And he goes on to talk about that. And he talks, look, verse 14, now the body's made up of, uh, uh, not made up of one part, but many. And the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. He goes through this rationale, right? It would, uh, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, it, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eyeball, right, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, look at verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them. That means you and me, just as he wanted them to be. Wow, we'll stop there. You can read the rest of that later. God has arranged the parts of the body just as he has our physical body. He's arranged each one of us here, each one of us, to have a part within the body, and we're to play that part and to function according to the way that God has designed you and designed me. We as Christians are all interrelated spiritual unity. We are a body. We not only belong to Christ, but we also belong to each other. That's why, incidentally, we weep with those that weep, don't we? We feel that. The body feels that. There's sudden grief and sadness and loss, loss of job, loss of life, a child is killed, accidents happen, and we weep, we weep, we feel that. You, I feel that even when I meet folks that I didn't know and they have a chance to share with me of their brokenheartedness. And don't we live in a brokenhearted world? If you don't see it, get the clouds out of your eyes. I see it everywhere I look. Disillusioned, brokenhearted, disappointed people. Listen, I understand why people would take their life if they didn't know Christ. I know that. I sense that. If you can't sense that, the reality and the raw reality of life, and we weep with those that weep, and we rejoice with those that rejoice, right? Just like Paul said, we celebrate. Jay had a birthday. Boy, you sang better than that than you sang the hymns. I don't know what that means exactly, but you belted that out. Happy birthday, Jay, you know? And we celebrate birth and good news and, and Tanya's feeling better and all of that. And we enter into that, and joyfully, and we should. Why? Because we're a body. Unity, but there's diversity. And that's the way God made us. And it's wonderful indeed. Well, the first insight, we as Christians are one body in Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on in verses 6 to 8 to give the second insight that we as Christians, you and I, are to discover the gift that God has given to us, and we're to use it appropriately. Each believer, each one of you, if you name the name of Christ, you uh, have been given a grace gift. That's the word in the Greek. It's actually, it's, it's, it wraps around grace, the word. You've been given a gift, at least one, and some of you have multiple gifts. You are to use it. The body needs it. Paul is going to give us seven of them here. And he's going to say, much like the Nike commercial of not too many years ago, remember, just do it. 
They must have made billions off that little expression, just do it. And in the, in, the, in the original, he's going to say all the way through, not just do it, let's do it. He's going to call us, there's your kid, let's do it, let's do it, or just do it. Don't let it sit idle. Engage it. You're part of a body. The body needs you. You need it. We're members, and we ought to engage that way. And so he's going to give us a catalog here of seven gifts. They're not all-encompassing. There tend to be at least 19 gifts that, uh, that are given between 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to include Ephesians 4 in that, verse 11, in our present text. There are a number of gifts, and I don't think it's exhaustive. I think there are other gifts that uh, the Lord gives uh, to his people as a part of the church. Well, let's look what these are. Notice the first one uh, in verse 6. He says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his, or it should be the faith. Well, A, the gift of prophecy. Well, what in the world is that? Well, both the Old Testament and New Testament prophets always spoke for God. They were God's spokesmen. They're like the President of the United States. Have you ever noticed he has a press secretary, and he speaks on behalf of the President. You know, the press conferences there at the White House and all that, he's the President's official spokesman. Do you notice that? They don't have five, ten people walking around speaking for the President. You can't have that. Just one mouthpiece. He speaks for him. That's the idea. That's what it was in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And, they, and the, the prophets would warn, they would rebuke, they would teach. Well, today, uh, the, this gift is the proclaiming of God's Word. It's not generating new word. It's simply proclaiming it to speak as God's spokesman. It's primarily what a pastor teacher does. He proclaims, this is the Word of God, I have to study it and know it inside and out, and then uh, proclaim it to you. It's primarily given to the redeemed in the church setting or small group, but he proclaims the Word of God. That's the gift of prophecy today. Paul defines it in 1 Corinthians 14.3. He says uh, that the gift of prophecy is for edification, that means growth, exhortation, and con uh, consol consolation as well. It is the gift of being God's spokesman, primarily to God's people. It's speaking truth. It's what Aaron was for Moses at the burning bush. I'm not eloquent, Moses said. I can't speak. Your brother Aaron, he will speak for you. On a human plane, that's what it was. Aaron spoke before Pharaoh uh, for Moses. And uh, that's what the gift of prophecy is. One who speaks God's Word and proclaims it for God to people, primarily to the redeemed. And so the content, uh, you must note, is controlled and it's restricted. And that's why the expression, uh, it says in the NIV, uh, in proportion to his faith, but really it's not a personal uh, pronoun there. It's, it's, it's the word the faith. It's the article the faith. So what he's saying there and I don't have time to develop this, I wish I did, was that anyone who speaks God's word in proclamation is always controlled by the revealed word of God. You just can't go out here and, and something, brand, I got something brand new, you've never heard this before. I did hear a pastor say that once. And we were visiting the church in the greater Buffalo area, and a good man, but he was wrong in this. And it was telling us that God had told him, and now he's proclaiming, it's going to be a terrible uh, harvest season, plant your food, we're going to be in trouble, and this and that. And I was nervous because he equated that on par with divine revelation of Scripture. He went beyond that which was revealed. I leaned over to the faith and I said, who will stone this man if it doesn't come about? And I got news for you, it was a great harvest season. It wasn't any of that. And so that was wrong. So it's controlled. Well, that's the gift of prophecy. Anyone who preaches today must be rigidly disciplined so as not to go beyond what God has said. Well, the gift of service. This is a general word for service of all kinds. It's the word minister, if you will, diakona or deacon. It's similar to the, 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 the gift of helps that we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It's a general word. It's any kind of service, anything that needs to be done anywhere. 
The word is the same, I said, is used for deacon. Uh, We're to help the weak, all of us. Some of you will have a particular propensity to serve. You love serving, and it fills your heart with joy. Incidentally, that's one of the great ways you can know, what's my gift? What do you enjoy doing? God has built you that way. And when you exercise your function, uh, God will bless that, favor that, and you'll have a sense of joy. If it's in proclaiming, I, I, I love the work of preaching. I spend all week praying, studying, thinking about this. And uh, like MacArthur said, go in your study, don't come out. So God gives you the message, then come out and preach the word. And I've done that for many, many years. It's a joy. It's exhausting. It's, the study is weary, but it blesses my heart. Serving, that may be, when you serve, you say, I don't really care about it. I just, there, there are needs that need to be done. I want to fill in and help. And we're to help the weak, are we not? We're to be a blessing of every sort of practical way that believers can give one to the other. Matthew and Mark 10.45, Mark said uh, about Jesus, the Lord came not to, to be served, what? But to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so we follow his train as we practice this ministry of service or ministry or helps. Acts 20, 35, we are to help the weak. We're to serve them. That's the idea. We're to live for others. There's a thought. We're to live for others and not ourselves. It's not about you. You're part of the body, and you're to serve and to help. Oh, there's a need here. I'm going to meet that need and go over and do whatever I can to serve and to be a blessing. Third is, is that of, uh, or C, is that of the gift of teaching. The Christian teacher is gifted with an ability to present God's truth understandably. It's different than the gift of prophecy. This is the ability to, that is teaching, is the ability to systematic and uh, systematic and regular instruction in God's Word. It's to be able to give that. This is any teacher. A pastor ought to also have the gift of teaching. That's why it's pastor teaching. He needs to be able to do that. But it's any teacher. It's any teacher that uh, it, it could be a teacher. I've listed, do I have it down here? Uh, yes, it could be a seminary teacher who's teaching. It could be a Sunday school teacher with adults or children or small group. It, it, it's any kind of teaching that goes on and, and set, where the teacher studies the Word and systematically understands it and then, and then presents that and then lives that in his or her life. It's, it's a wonderful, glorious, uh, a, a glorious gift. Many, many in the church have it. Some estimate one-third of people have it. If you have an opportunity to teach formally, you have a class or a setting, a small group or discipleship, then use that gift. If you, that's formal, but use it informally. You'd be surprised when you and I can teach other people at work and at school about the things that we know. You've been taught things. Just pass them on. Pass them on. Pass them on. Teach and instruct. You see the Lord. He's the master teacher. There's none greater than him. Now, teaching's hard work. It's hard work. A much study wearies the flesh, Solomon said. And it is. Why? Why is it harder? Because you have to understand it first. Gregory's law of the teacher. You ever have someone teach you where you get the thought, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. I hope you didn't pay tuition for that class. Sometimes I did. But uh, uh, you have to know. You've got to know. That's why if you want to really know something, teach it. Because you've got to study it first. You're going to know it better than any of your students. You have to. That's the way it works. It's hard work. And we value and we love you for your teaching ability. Some of you, and you all have the ability informal, but some of you are specially gifted. Use that gift. Say, Lord, Pastor, where can I plug in here? I, we need teaching. We want to help develop our Christian ed and our Sunday school and some of you have the gifts to, and ability to teach. Teach, teach, teach. Use that gift. Don't quit. Say, well, I'll leave it for the younger generation. We need your help now. You're still here. You're warm and breathing, and therefore God has something for you to do. Uh, D, the, the gift of exhortation. NIV says encouraging. Uh, actually, it's the word uh, in the Greek. It means the gift of standing by. How about that? You ever go to the airport and they say, I'm sorry, you're on standby. That's probably not a good thing. That's how most college kids flew when I 
what was a kid when you went on People's Air and some of these others. They were all standby there, if I remember. But uh, it's the gift of standing by. This has a very broad connotation. It means calling someone to one side. So this gift encompasses the idea of advising. You come alongside them, right? So they need advisement. Maybe they need pleading. Maybe they need encouragement. Uh, maybe they need warning or strengthening or comforting. Example of Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. To stand by his friend and really help him in need. Sometimes you may come alongside someone and, uh, that uh, they're not living right. They're uh, disorderly walk. They're in sin and you love them enough to reach out. A lot of people just yap away and talk about them. But you love them and you want to help bring them back. And so you, you come alongside and you call them to obedience to the truth that they know. And then once they repent in time, you go back alongside, and now you're encouraging. That away, I see that you're really striving to grow in grace. That's the gift of encouragement. That's the gift of, of this exhortation. And uh, note the differences. I just want to delineate it for you. Prophecy proclaims. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm proclaiming the truth of God's Word. That's prophecy. Maybe mixed in with some teaching. But teaching, uh, you noticed on, on the sheet, teaching systematizes and explains it more in detail. Roger does that so great when he taught the class in Genesis, backwards and forwards, and laid down all kinds of things. You see, we don't, we don't have time to do that, but in teaching, you lay down why this is true and this is false, and you lay down all the argument for that systematically and, and in a rational sense. That's the gift of teaching. But it's different from the gift of exhortation or encouragement because that calls believers. You're coming along and calling them now to be obedient, to follow the truth, to do God's will. You see the difference? There are difference. There may be some overlapping, and some men, some women may have more than one gifts, but that's how they are parsed. Well, then E, there's the gift of giving, Paul says. And if you have the gift of giving, just do it, like the Nike. This is the sacrificial giving uh, of, uh, of, of, you, of oneself, of one's means and stewardship and abilities and giving this. All should enter into giving, all of us, but it's estimated that in, in, in Christ's church that, that at least 10% have this wonderful gift that just blesses their heart when they give, and they want to give and give, and they're looking for needs, and, and God trusts them and prospers them in their giving. All of us, I said, should do this. This is one who gives with open-heartedness. There's no ulterior motive. They don't want their name in lights at all. When we built our church in Indiana, we had such a, a, uh, a humble builder. General Contra was a deacon in a near city. Good man, John. We came to the dedication. God had done such a great thing that we built the whole thing. And when it was all done, the whole place was paid for. And the average age of the church was so young, everyone gave glory to God. And at the, uh, at the service, the place was filled with people. It was fabulous. And the builder said to me, Pastor, I said, John, we want to honor you. He said, don't even mention my name. And there's so many things he gave as a part of his construction to the glory of God. Don't even, if you do, I'll leave. <laughs> I mean, that was a threat. I said, John, don't worry, we won't. I thank you for all you did. And the Lord knows. He said, that's all I need to know. The Lord knows. I gave that to him and blessed the church, even to this, what a wonderful thing. That's the gift of giving. The Macedonians were like that. They were poor people. Poor people. And they, they counted a privilege to give money to the support of the apostles' ministry. And the wealthy Corinthians, they were cheapskates. And the poor people, they kept sending gifts from Philippi and other places. In fact, I read one man, I wrote a quote here. Did you know, according to this, that the poor are statistically more generous in terms of proportional giving? Did you know that? The rich tend to be the least generous, according to this one author. Do you, do you have enough to eat? Do you have clothes to wear, a place to live, money in the bank? Then, then each one of us, whether you have the gift of giving or not, we ought to think about how we can best be generous with those in need around us and give. Give. We ought to. Keep a loose hand on it, and God will trust you with maybe even more. You will. F, the gift of leadership means governance. 
The word means to stand before. You stand before, you're, you're the leader. You're up front is the, is the idea. Effective leadership must be done with diligence and earnestness and zeal. The word, uh, this word never occurs in government, but it does in the home. That the husband, he's to be the leader of the home. And in the church, the elder is to lead the church. That's it's the up front, standing up front. And it ought to be effective leadership. And it ought to be done as unto the Lord. It involves all who would lead and direct any of the ministries within the church with, uh, with our youth. Rob and David had to lead the youth. And we have the Hartmans with the nursery and Jerry with the Sunday school. And we go on and on and on with, with those with our, our beautiful music and, and everything else and all that goes on here. Leadership, leadership, that's the gift of that. And finally, the gift of mercy. This uh, is the gifted person who is endowed with special sensitivity to the suffering and to the sorrow. And he or she has the ability to help. It's more than just empathy. Say, well, I feel all this. It's more than that. They're, they're sensitive to it. It's almost intuitive. And I've seen this gift. They, they kind of come into a room and, and they can almost like radar sense that person's hurting. You go over them, and they want to do something to help, and they help alleviate. So it's not just feeling, it's, it's being sensitive, zeroing in, and then providing resources to help whatever that need is within the body of Christ. It's feeling put into action. It's done with cheerfulness. Very, very important. That's what he says, let us do it uh, cheerfully. Because we can do things, right? Let's face it. We can do things with the wrong attitude, can't we? And we lose the blessing. We ought to do it with cheerfulness, not grudgingly. All right, I'll help. I'll help. You might as well just sit down. You lost it. You know? I'll help there. Uh, I don't really want to. Uh, I'm busy. You know, uh, just don't help. You just lost it. Well, we ought to do that mercifully with cheer. Well, that's what he's talking about here. And we are, each one of us, to discover our gift. Now, how do I discover my gift? Let me just give you this and we'll almost be done. Number one, take note of your desires. God has built you uniquely with desires, and God has put desires in your heart to want to be used. How, what, what is unique about the desire? Do you have a desire to teach? Do you have a desire to serve? desire to help? A desire... What is that desire? Number one, it won't be contrary to it. It'll work in, in tandem with it. Second, ask others what they see in you. You know, see, maybe you try teaching and maybe you bomb out, but maybe keep trying. Maybe it just needs to be developed. But after you try a while and it doesn't work, then others say, I think your gift's in another area. You want to know that, you know? You want to know it from people that love and care about you. Uh, you. Third, you ought to see a measure of blessing upon what you do. There ought to be a measure of fruitfulness. That when you exercise your gift, you, you see it being productive. It helps. It helps the well-being of the body. It, it, God seems to bless that. Not only is there joy when you do it because it's your desire and others affirm you in that, you see the increase from it. Wow. Faith and I got involved years ago with a little youth group. Larry was here from his church when we first uh, were married, and we said we want to serve. And they, they, they finally, okay, you can be the youth director. And we just loved the kids and taught the word. Pretty soon they're hanging out the window. They're out in the court. They were everywhere. We she's looking at me. I'm looking at her. Wow, it's amazing what God's doing. It's just, wow, I guess. And people would affirm that, you see. Now, if I tried singing... Some of you would say, uh, Pastor, I don't know if we affirm you on that thing. I don't think that's it, you know. <laughs> you maybe want to give in another department or something. And, uh, and, and a lot of you are like that too. I've heard that, you know. So think about that as well. Okay, so discover your gift. And then once you discover it, and you ought to discover, you ought to give thought to that. So what is my part in the church? Then set yourself to lifetime task of keeping that gift busy. Now, you may have more than one gift, but keep it busy. Keep it active. Vance Havner, that preacher of another day, said in regards to the gift of God, we must stir up the gift of God that's within us like sugar in the lemonade. 
It may be there, but it needs to be set in motion. And so do you and your gifts. Well, what are some lessons for life? Number one, if you know the Lord, celebrate because you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Isn't that great? It's just not me, and it's just not my little P's and Q's and my little world. You're a part of the body of Christ. Man, that's exciting. You ought to celebrate that. Lord, thank you. Number two, remember, we not only belong to Christ, but we also belong to each other. We need each other. I need you, and you need me. It's part of the reason why I miss you so much when you're not here. Some of you do that every two, every three-week cycle. I don't know where you're getting your card punched the other weeks. But we miss you here, and you belong here, and you should be here. We need each other. You need my preaching, I guess. I need your, I need your gift to be expressed and used here. It's called a body. It's body life. That's body life. Les, that's a book you were doing once, right? Body life. No. Is that similar to that? Oh, body four. I knew it was similar. Forget that. Number three. Number three. If you are saved, you have at least, it should be one gift. You have a gift. You have a gift. You say, no, God can't use it. Remember we said that last week. That's false humility. You have one gift. Discover it and use it in the body. Oh, you must. Would you do that? Would you set your heart? Lord, what is my gift? Help me. Come see me. See one of the elders. We'll help you on that thing. We get you started so that you're engaging in the body. Number four and last, I invite you today, today, to confess your sin. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior. You've never been born again. I'm telling you, the best is yet to come for you if you've not, if you'll come. A simple prayer of faith, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Don't let this day pass. It's more important than any game tonight. It's more important than anything else. You must be saved. Well, that's what Paul tells us about the church. It's a body. It's one body. It has many parts and there are many gifts. May we represent that body here at Grace to the glory of Christ till he should come. Shall we stand and be dismissed?